A farmer and his young son were working in the fields during a particularly dry summer. The sky had been cloudy, but there was no rain for weeks, threatening, but no follow-through. Then suddenly, as it happens often in the Midwest, the wind and sky took a sudden turn. It's going to rain, the farmer shouted to his son. Let's, let's head for the house. Apparently every farmer has a southern draw now. The pair ran across the field, traveling over ditches and navigating around fence posts. They were a little bit too late. The rain had already started to fall. The farmer and son reached the field near the house, but the dirt became muck. And as the boy came around the corner to the front porch, he slipped and tumbled headlong into a puddle. The, the farmer father couldn't resist a chuckle. He tried not to laugh too much as he picked up his son and carried him safe from the rain and took him inside. And his mom saw his mud-caked clothes and shoes and said, Don't you track that in this house. I'll get you some towels. You just wait right there, which is why they call that a mud room when you first walk in. The father and son stood shivering on the porch, and the boy began to grumble his complaints as the dad wiped the mess from his face and hair. I hate the rain, the boy blurted out. What good is it anyways? And the farmer father laughed again, empathizing with his son. He was miserable, had mud everywhere. But his dad spoke to him and said wisely, Son, you have no idea how much good the rain does. The rain is a blessing for everyone and everything around here. The soaked and filthy boy was skeptical. To everyone and everything? Really? How? Well, you know the rain barrels we have by the house. Why, if it wasn't for the rain, we, we wouldn't have any drinking water or water for baths, which to a middle school boy is probably not a bad idea, at least to them. <laughs> We're going to have full barrels of fresh, cool water tomorrow morning, thanks to the rain. And our crops, think about them. They need rain. If it didn't rain, none of the vegetables would grow. Again, <laughs> middle school boys like, and the downside is? But we wouldn't have anything to feed ourselves or anything to sell in town. And all the rain keeps the weather cool for the animals. And you may not like all the mud, but the pigs are going to love it. And so will you because, well, you know, I know, you love bacon. And you know that brook you love to fish in? Well, all the rain means that stream is going to run high the next few days and there'll be lots of fish for you to fish. Plus, the rain will clear a lot of the dust or make the air cleaner and clearer and easier to breathe. You see, son... The rain benefits us in different ways, depending on what we need. But the rain, well, it's always a blessing. So you dry off. Don't track anything inside. Let's go inside. Truly, it is a blessing to be blessed. And we're going to hear a lot more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you. I hope all is well. My name is L.J. Harry. I am your host for this God's Word for Life Companion podcast and our episode is the beginning of a brand new series called Kingdom Living. And today's episode stems from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, 
and this episode is entitled The Life God Blesses. It is the companion episode to the lesson in the lesson guide from July 2nd, 2023. So reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Word of God reads, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And some of you hunger and thirst after bacon, after just the very mere mention of it. But this is a little bit different hunger, which Jesus spoke about in Matthew 5, verse 6. God loves to pour out blessings upon us. We're his kids. And God has especially shown compassion on the pained, the weary, the downtrodden. When Jesus began his public ministry, he read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2 in the synagogue, and he specifically mentioned that his ministry would be to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, the bruised. And we read that in Luke 4, verse 18. These groups could be classified as those who feel empty. There's this nagging deficit deep in their souls. But Jesus loves these groups dearly, as evidenced by the crowds who followed him. I mean, think about the people who followed Jesus when he ministered. They were prostitutes, tax collectors, just common, ordinary, run-of-the-mill fishermen. And then there were lepers and the blind who were led by the hand to where Jesus was and the lame who were carried where he was and other people in need of healing of every manner and every imaginable disease. And when challenged by the Pharisees, the religious, why Jesus associated with publicans and with sinners, not republicans, but publicans, which was a tax collector, Jesus responded probably with a knowing smile on his face. They that are whole need not a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, that's you guys, or so you think, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5, verses 31 through 32. Now, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 11 is famously known as the Beatitudes. It began Jesus' well-known Sermon on the Mount. The first group of Beatitudes could be categorized as empty, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the hungry for righteousness. There's considerable debate concerning the phrase poor in spirit. Matthew 5 verse 3 is the only place in Scripture where this phrase is even found. Even in Luke's version of this passage, the author omitted in spirit, simply referring to the poor. You can see that in Luke 6 verse 20. Being poor in spirit, it may refer to us when we see ourselves as we truly are. We're limited, inadequate beings in need of God's grace. We realize the absence of hope when we trust in our humanity alone. We turn out our pockets spiritually and we find out we have nothing to offer God without God. Everything we have comes from Him. And once we realize our need of God and the insufficiency of our own humanity, God is able to fill us as sincere seekers with His Holy Spirit and we become heirs of Christ and we become citizens of His holy heavenly kingdom. And that brings us to our first question. This sermon was Jesus' first sermon as a new rabbi in Galilee. How do you think the crowd responded to Jesus preaching that the poor are blessed? (laughs) Probably not well. Throughout all of our lives, we have identified with those who mourn. We often associate mourning with the death of someone we love, but any loss can result in mourning. Losing a job due to layoffs or a house due to a fire, that can cause us to mourn. Parents can feel mourning when their last child leaves the house and leaves them with an empty nest, and now their home is silent. Certainly we mourn, or at least we should, 
when we realize just how poor in spirit we really are and how much our sin really does separate us from God. No matter the reason we mourn, we have the promise of God's comfort in the midst of our mourning. Jesus often referred to the Holy Spirit as a comforter. John 14, verses 16 and 26. Chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 16, verse 7. All right there in a line. When we're filled with God's Spirit, we can be confident that the ever-present Comforter dwells within us and will provide timely comfort in our mourning. Not all emptiness is bad. To be meek is to be empty of pride and to be empty of self, to be gentle, to be slow to anger. Meekness is not cowardice. It's not weakness. It is patience. It's long-suffering even in the face of persecution. One writer wrote, Meekness is power under control. When we empty ourselves of pride and allow God's Spirit to help us to be patient, oh, that one's tough, even if the whole world is against us, Jesus promised we would inherit the earth. God also promised to fill everybody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. If you've ever felt extreme hunger and thirst, you can testify how much those pangs overwhelm and preoccupy you. Because God honors sincere and holy desires, He promises to fill all people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And interestingly, this infilling results in even more hunger and more infilling in this eternal cycle of being filled with the righteousness of God. God's righteousness should keep us wanting more and more and more. And thankfully, the more we hunger, the more God will fill us. So let's go back to one of the ones just before this. And let me ask you this question. How is meekness different from weakness? It rhymes, but that's about the only thing they have in common. How do we exercise meekness for the glory of God? It's easy to give the Lord the things we know we have. Sometimes it's difficult to empty ourselves and trust that God will be faithful to fill those empty spaces. When our spirits are downcast, when we grieve for lost loved ones, or we struggle in the face of trials, we can be confident God will enter those empty spaces and fill us to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. God is so good at that. God thrives on using empty vessels to perform his will. You'll find that all through the scripture. While God is especially concerned for the empty, his blessings are for all seasons in life. He's not just a very present help in trouble, Psalm 46, verse 1, but he also takes pleasure in them that fear him, Psalm 147, verse 11. God is a fellow celebrator. Think about that. God celebrates in good times, just as he helps us in bad times. He desires for us to seek him, not just to pray for our needs, but also to rejoice in our victories. And the longer we live faithfully for God, the more God's blessings just seem to compound themselves upon themselves and continue to grow. The next group of the Beatitudes could be classified as those who are full, not just empty. These are people full of mercy, full of purity, full of peace. Being full of mercy has a self-fulfilling promise. When we give mercy, we receive mercy. And we learned all about that in the episode entitled 70 Times 7, which aired on June 16th, 2023. If you have not heard that one, go back and listen to that one. It's all about giving and receiving mercy. But this is connected to the principle of sowing and reaping. It's found elsewhere in Jesus' teaching. 
Luke 6, verse 38, and the writings of the Apostle Paul, Galatians 6, verse 7. Being pure in heart relates to being sincere, being holy, which results in us being able to see God. This passage is a helpful reminder that it's impossible to fully discover God until we know Him in purity and in holiness. Pure in heart doesn't mean we're perfect and never make mistakes. That's far from it. But pure in heart means our heart is single, undivided. We're not living on the fence about our relationship with Jesus. Simply stated, pure in heart is living on the right side of the fence. Bringing us to our third question. Have you ever noticed there is a relationship in the Bible between purity and peace? Ah, Jesus spoke a special blessing over the peacemakers. Those who are willing to make peace or have the beautiful privilege of being called the children of God. Being a peacemaker is not always easy, especially in a very tumultuous world, a hostile world, a world where people, as John Cleese said, are deliberately waiting for the thrill of being offended. And yet God's Spirit has always been a sign of belonging to God. When Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, he promised, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. John 14, verse 27. In another place, Jesus noted, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John 13, verse 35. The way we will know who we are, whose we are, and the presence of God's Holy Spirit within us is how we love and act in peace toward each other. God's bountiful blessings are not just given for the sake of blessing alone. God's blessings are designed to flow through us as well as into us. In the book of Genesis, God gave Abraham a promise and a commission in the same sentence. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Genesis 12, verse 2. God's blessings were not for Abraham alone, but for everybody Abraham would encounter. In a similar way, being full of mercy, of peace, of purity, are inherently for blessing others as well as ourselves. What good is having mercy if we don't interact with people who need it? What benefit is being full of peace if we don't speak it into the tumult and the chaos around us? What good is being full of righteousness and purity if it does not empower us to be distinctive witnesses in a world devoid, absent, empty of peace and purity? Let's all pray for God to daily remind us that we are pipelines of God's blessings, not storage bins. If you take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is not just for us. God gives us His Holy Spirit. That's what fills us. The fruit of the Spirit is for others. People who need love, who need joy, who need peace, and they need to see it being born in our lives. So here's a question for you. How can you bless somebody with the blessings God has given you? And even if you don't have two nickels to meet each other, if you have peace in your heart, you could give that to a millionaire who has a lot of nickels but no peace. So if you have the Spirit of God within you, you have so much to offer our world. The final group specifically mentioned by Jesus in the Beatitudes were the persecuted. He called them blessed. While persecution looks different in the modern Western world than it did in Jesus' time, persecution absolutely exists. In some places around the world, this still includes violence, includes imprisonment, even death for faith. But in all cultures, 
Persecution might include the encroachment of ungodly ideologies or cultures or mindsets in the church. Regardless of what persecution looks like, those who suffer persecution can expect the blessings of God. Being persecuted is not unique to Christianity. Many groups around the world, they continue to suffer persecution based on race, ethnicity, gender, religious beliefs. And all that persecution is a great injustice. But there's something unique about suffering for righteousness' sake. Persecution happens when the good we do for God results in attack from the enemies of our soul. For example, when we begin to exercise the fullness of mercy and peace, some will undoubtedly disagree and they will turn on the merciful and the peacemakers. It will happen. When we suffer for doing good, we will receive the same promise as the poor in spirit. We will inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting, isn't it? The poor in spirit were promised that, and that was the beginning of the Beatitudes, and the persecuted are promised the same, and that's the end of the Beatitudes. But we must be very careful not to mistake every naysayer as a persecutor. In fact, not every time we suffer are we suffering for righteousness' sake. If we have done something wrong or if we have done something foolishly, sometimes we suffer just because we did something wrong and we did something foolishly. But when we are living our life, a life God blesses, a life full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, bearing the the fruit of the Spirit, operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and we're persecuted, Jesus promised a blessing. In addition to suffering for righteousness' sake, it's possible to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, those are very closely related. They're quite like sisters, but they are also different, just like sisters. Sometimes we can suffer for righteousness' sake simply by standing up for the principles of righteousness, morality, truth, justice. But when we suffer for Jesus' sake, that's directly related to our Christian beliefs and behaviors and values. When we are mocked for our godly dress or our theological beliefs or our testimony for Jesus, we are suffering, we are being persecuted for Jesus' sake. But when we live in line with God's will for our lives and we experience this type of persecution, as backward as it sounds, as odd and strange as it sounds, rejoice. Be glad. Don't be in despair. Jesus encouraged us to be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, Matthew 5, verse 12. Maybe that's why so many early Christian martyrs worshipped and thanked God even as they were burned on stakes and fed to lions. Because they viewed persecution as an honor to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ, it was an honor, not a burden. They also understood that persecution for Jesus' sake puts us in excellent company with the prophets who came before us. Even more than the prophets, we also identify with Jesus himself who warned his followers, if they hated me, believe me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, believe me, they will persecute you. But Jesus suffered first. So we can absolutely trust Jesus will be able to provide the comfort and empathize with our hurts and give us the strength we need to endure. Last question. What experiences have you had with ridicule or even persecution because of your faith? And how did that shape your faith rather than shake your faith? At different times, we all experience emptiness. We experience fullness and even persecution. Some may experience all three at one time in varying degrees. 
At other times, a local church may have a wide variety of members in different seasons and each needing unique blessings, and yet God knows exactly who we are, where we are, what we need, and how to meet every individual and corporate need. Thank God he knows how to respond uniquely to everybody. He can bless the grieving soul at the same exact moment he blesses the rejoicing soul and the persecuted soul. Seasons may be different, but we don't have to approach a different spirit in those different seasons. Just like rain produces a wide variety, wide range of benefits and blessings, the same Spirit of God can simultaneously bless a church full of people who each need something different and unique from God. But to receive those blessings, we must collectively and individually acknowledge we need them. We need God. He's a gentleman. He will not bless those who do not want to be blessed. If your hand is closed, he will not pry it open. We must humble ourselves and we must pray for God to bless us and live a life God blesses. And with that, we get ready to wrap up. The story at the beginning of the lesson, it was fictional. But the struggles we face are absolutely real. It's possible for a pastor to speak at a funeral to those who grieve to officiate a wedding for those who celebrate and be mocked by co-workers for his faith at a part-time job all in the span of a couple of days. It's also common for Christians to go through seasons of mourning and celebration. Sadly, many don't realize they're in the days of celebration until the days of mourning they come. We must all stay in tune with the blessings of God in our lives and continually communicate with Him. The greatest blessing is not the stuff He gives, but the relationship we have with Him. Jesus told another better-known parable about fathers and sons in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Jesus spoke generally about the nature of fathers. What type of father would not give good gifts to his children? So if a father loves his son like that, who, who could never imagine conceive of giving a son a stone when his son was needing bread or a serpent instead of something to eat, well, if that's true of us who are earthly, flawed, imperfect, broken, how much more must our heavenly father want to bless us and have the ability to bless us more than we could ever imagine? To receive those blessings, we must be willing to ask. God will listen to those who cry out to him. He promised, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and everyone that seeketh findeth, and everyone who knocketh, it shall be opened. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8. But immediately after speaking about seeking for good things from God and reflecting on the nature of fathers who give good gifts to their kids, Jesus gave the encouragement commonly known as the golden rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law in the prophets, Matthew 7, verse 12. Even in a conversation about praying for and receiving good gifts from our Heavenly Father, Jesus gave a poignant reminder that these gifts are not for our benefit only. The blessings we receive from God should cause us to grow in love, in respect, and compassion for others. Only when we receive this revelation will we fulfill the command given to Abraham in which we are blessed to be a blessing. So let's pray about that for God to empty us of what we don't need and to fill us with what we do. Jesus, I love you. I come to you today poor in spirit. I have nothing without you.
I come today, God, help us to be meek. Help us to be hungry for you. Help us, Lord Jesus, even when we mourn at the sight of our sin. I pray you would fill us, Lord. Comfort us, God. Help us to be full, full of mercy, full of purity, full of peace, even full of a confidence that comes from you when we are persecuted, that we can rejoice and count it all joy because we suffer for the name of Jesus. Help us today to live these beatitudes. Help us today, God, to honor you in the way we live. Help us to live a life you bless. And I pray, Lord, use those blessings to be a blessing to others, not just for us, but through us to bless others. I pray this today and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to subscribe, follow, like, share, click the notify button. That way you'll be notified every time an episode drops. I've got some great news for you. For all of those out there who are teachers, teachers of children, of youth, of adults, you who are looking for some extra training and extra, how do I do this a little bit better? We've got a great virtual conference coming up for you on August 12th, starting at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's called Formed, and you can find all the information about it at formed.upci.org. It's a conference that will help with general sessions for all teachers, and then there are also split sessions for teachers of children, of youth, and adults. Seventeen effective, experienced speakers will help us to be better at teaching, to learn how to teach God's Word to God's students. So join us, formed.upci.org. You can get more information. You can register right there for individuals or teams, formed.upci.org. Head also over to pentecostalpublishing.com after you've registered for Formed, and you can get all the curriculum that God's Word for Life has to offer for children, for teens, for adults. You can get curriculum for this summer series and season, or you can get it for the fall coming up, that which will be launched on July 17th. You'll get all of that, and there's some great new additions that we have, especially for our children's curriculum, devotional and activity pages. You'll learn a lot more about that if you go to pentecostalpublishing.com. And you'll see all of that right there. So July 17th, we will launch our fall series, and the hardback will be out for the adults very, very soon. That will be for the entire 2023 to 2024 curriculum season, from the fall all the way through the end of the summer of 24. That's coming out very soon. You'll find that also at PentecostalPublishing.com. And, hey, if you use promo code GWFL10, GWFL, the number 10, you can get 10% off your entire order. You are very welcome. Next week, we continue this summer series called Kingdom Living, and we are looking at Matthew 5, verse 16, staying in the Sermon on the Mount, and our episode is entitled, The Mission of a Disciple. I want to know what Jesus wants me to do and be. Well, we're going to hear all about that next week. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.